Welcome to the Herbs with Rosalie podcast, a show exploring how herbs heal as medicine, as food, and through nature connection. I'm your host, Rosalie de la Forêt. I'm an herbalist teacher and the best-selling author of the books Alchemy of Herbs and Wild Remedies. I created this podcast to share trusted herbal wisdom so that you can get the best results when relying on herbs for your health. I love offering up practical knowledge to help you dive deeper into the world of medicinal plants and seasonal living. My goal is that you'll walk away from each episode feeling inspired to start working with herbs in your everyday life. Each episode of the podcast is available on my Herbs with Rosalie YouTube channel, as well as your favorite podcast app. Transcripts and recipes for each episode can be found at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com. To get the latest news as well as fun bonuses, be sure to sign up for my weekly herbal newsletter. Okay, grab your cup of tea. Let's dive in. Whether or not you've heard of Calamus Root, I know you're going to love this episode with Jim McDonald. In his usual fashion, Jim not only shares some of his extensive personal experience of working with this plant, but he also shares many other stories and bits of wisdom about being an herbalist and working with herbs. This is Jim's second appearance on the show. He has another popular episode on plantain, so definitely check that out if you haven't already. I also want to give you a heads up that I have a new ending to the podcast, which not only gives you a gold star for listening, but also rewards you with a little herbal tidbit. So for anyone wanting extra credit, this is my nudge to encourage you to stay until the end. For those of you who don't know Jim, he's a personal friend of mine and one of my favorite herbalists to learn from. His teachings are incredibly influential in my own life, and I'm thrilled to have him back on the show. In 1994, Jim McDonald's life changed when he drank tea from a wild plant he harvested from the land he lived upon. Since those first sips of strange tea, his life in the woods and meadows of southeast Michigan has been centered on the plants and ecosystems of that land and how he might share their virtues to restore wellness with those around him. Jim's approach to herb craft is deeply rooted in the land he lives upon and blends traditional European folk influences with 19th century eclectic and physiomedical vitalism, which he conveys with story, experience, humor, common sense, and lore to students, clients, random passers-by, and readers of his websites at herbcraft.org and herbcraft.podia.com. He's taught classes throughout North America is one of the organizers of the Great Lakes Herb Fair and is currently alternately writing foundational herb craft and a Great Lakes Herbal, in addition to articles for journals and other publications. Jim is a community herbalist, a manic wildcrafter, and medicine maker, and has been an ardent student of the most learned teachers of herb craft, the plants themselves. Well, Jim, welcome to the show again. Hey, welcome back. I mean, you should say that to me. Welcome back. <laughs> I like doing that. It's like people say, like, sometimes they say, like, happy birthday, you know, and you say, you too. And then you wait a moment while they think about it. It just makes mm-hmm. interaction fun. Well, welcome back. Such a pleasure. I haven't had a lot of people back on the show for another time. I know that I will continue to have you back over and over again because you're an okay herbalist and you're my good friend. So... <laughs> That's a, that's a good way to find it, right? Yeah, totally. 
I feel like that too. I have not yet had my fill of you where I'm like, I don't want to talk to her again. Oh, I'm glad that it's reciprocal then yeah. that we're we're both still into this. Phew. Right. It works. I mean, there what what now? The next time, like if it's a really long time, people will be like, oh, they, they must have got sick of each other. <laughs> Yeah, now, now we have to keep up appearances. All right, we'll just... See how I've scored more spots? <laughs> clever. That out. Very clever. Very clever. Well, for those of you who haven't heard Jim's previous episode on plantain, I highly recommend listening to that after you listen to this one. And in there, Jim tells his origin story. And I thought instead of repeating the origin story, which I assume is more or less the same, depending on whatever embellishments you have decided on in <laughs> the past year, <laughs> I thought it'd be fun to do another question. And that question is, what is your calamus origin story? We're just going to jump right into the herb. I, I have a good calamus origin story. So when when last we left our hero in the last episode, you know, I got into herbalism, I found some books, I started reading about plants. And one of the things that that I did right away that really shaped the way that I learned is I didn't start learning about plants and then go and buy capsules and you know of things. Is I was just like I wanted to find the, the herb. I I had I was living outside of East Lansing in a town called Okemos, and there was you know, a food co-op with a bulk herb section. They had some things, you know, they had the normal Frontier and Star West Botanicals, bulk herbs, mostly Frontier, I think. But I found out about this amazing shop in Detroit. It's still around. It's called Nature's Products, and it's run by a guy named Gary Wantaja, who I actually, I think that's the way you say his last name, but I, I don't think I've ever said it out loud to him to be corrected or confirmed, but Gary at Nature's Products in the very north part of Detroit. I went to his shop and it was like 300 gallon jars or more just full of bulk herbs. And he had like a few supplements and a few tinctures and a few bottles of that. But that's the, the kind of herb shop he has is just a bunch of bulk herbs and a lot of Chinese herbs, a lot of Western herbs, still one of the few places that I could go and like look for pellitory of the wall, right? Wow. Yeah, right? That kind of place. And I would just go in there and I'd look and I'd look at the jars and I didn't know what some things were and I recognized what some things were and I saw Calamus written, you know, on a handwritten label and I was like, oh, I'll take an ounce of that and he gets the jar and he you know, puts it in the bag and the triple beam scale. I leave there and I know a few things about it. I know it's a digestive system, right? But I don't, I don't really know that much about it. My girlfriend then, wife now, Stephanie, was with me. And I was going with her to Wayne State University where she had class. And the particular building she had class in has these rooms down and each one is kind of themed. So there's like, you know, Middle Eastern architecture style room where the, the style, the way it's done. And there was like the medieval room with like stained glass and cool stuff. And I have my, my Silmarillion. Bye. <laughs> If you haven't read this, I mean, obviously, obviously everyone has read Lord of the Rings, right? And then they might want to find out more, some context and read the Silmarillion. But I was reading the Silmarillion and I was like chewing on some calamus because I had, you know, read that that was a traditional way to use it. So I was like taking a little bit of the cotton sifted herb and chewing on them. And I was reading and then I would like look up and I was like, something's different. Like something feels like different. I think the calamus is like 
like I feel something different since I started chewing the cannabis. But as soon as I tried to like put my my finger on it and figure out what it was, I was like, no, I can't really tell. And I go back to reading and then I stop again and I kind of like look around and, and maybe look, but also not look like feel out like what feels different. And I, I couldn't get something. And then one time I was, you know, a little bit while after I'd done this a few times, I was reading and I was like, something is totally different. And rather than like look up and try and figure it out, I just sort of like kept reading. And I was like, wait a minute. Like I'm reading the words about the Valar on the paper. These things the Valar did, recalling in their twilight the darkness of the lands of Arda. But I realized that like, I'm also like able to see in my peripheral vision, even though I'm looking at the page, like the stained glass and like the, the little bookshelves that were there, which is, you know, not normal. And I was like, oh, wow, it's really affecting my perception and more things are in focus. And focus is a, a quality that Calamus is often, you know, stated to have. But I think sometimes we think about focus as like you can I can focus in on, you know, that one thing. And this was more of a very broad depth of field sort of focus. And partially because of that experience and, you know, more experiences sort of like walking out in the woods and chewing little bits of the root, actually technically the rhizome, I just got this, I started to get this sense of the plant. And because this was very early in my learning about herbs, one of the things that I sort of realized later is I didn't just learn about calamus from chewing on it and feeling like, how did I feel before and how did I feel after? But I also learned a way about learning about plants, which is like, I've read all this stuff in books, but what do I feel in my body? You know, like, what is the visceral perception of this? And that a lot of times, like there were things about calamus and afterwards things about all these other plants that I learned more from actually ingesting them and consuming them and smelling them and feeling them and touching them than I did from reading stuff. And it's not that reading stuff is bad, but when you read stuff, it kind of like primes you to think about something a certain way. And oftentimes you would discover different things that are just as true and just as real. And I would meet other people who were into Calamus and they would say stuff that was the same as I'd never seen written down anywhere, but that I had come to from walking around and chewing on Calamus. Right. And I think that as you meet people who use the herbs that you use, you'll often find like some people who really know an herb well will have common experiences with it because it's just a part of the plant, but it might not be something that everyone read in the same book. You know, it's not like that one quote from Greaves Modern Herbal that everyone knows. It's stuff you get from interacting with it. I love that story because I can see how that has played a role in your herbal path ever since. And what a just a powerful lesson that is because it is so easy to just stay within a book and just mm -hmm. to read and kind of learn passively. But in that way, Calamus was almost teaching you like taking your hand and being like, here, here's another way to learn about plants. Yeah. And, and like I said, it changed not only the way I learned about Calamus, but the way I started learning about all the different herbs, you know, like it's become, if, if I'm learning about an herb, it's, of course I read about it. Why wouldn't I do that? But I'm also like trying to consume it in all kinds of different ways. And that's not just, you know, taking tinctures or making teas, but like chewing on it, smelling, you know, doing steam inhalation. I've done steam inhalations with weird stuff that is like, why would you do a steam inhalation of it? I'm like, why wouldn't I? <laughs> you know, like it's not aromatic. Well, somehow it still did something that was unique, you know, that was different than just 
inhaling steamy water. So yeah, something's coming up with the steam. And it just, it's adventurous, right? It's exciting. It's like, oh, you're, you're really engaging the inquisitiveness that is behind learning. And I think that you can approach learning like, I want to learn something so I know stuff, or I want to learn something because I'm inquisitive and I wonder stuff. And that's sort of like, that's my biggest desire in learning is I want to learn because I'm curious. I want to learn because it's just fun to learn stuff that I didn't know before or never thought before. That is truly so you, because when you call and we chat, I can't ever think of like, it's rare that you're like, oh, I learned this fact. You often have wonderings to share. Mm -hmm. You know, like, oh, I'm wondering about that. Even your personal Facebook page, I think is so interactive and interesting. And you get so many people commenting and sharing there because you're often sharing wonders. You aren't sharing like, oh, here I have these facts that I have memorized, which you can now memorize too. But you're opening up right. this curiosity and wonderment, which allows for all of us to participate and just to kind of see really cool things that people in all sorts of places are thinking about. I saw something on one of my old students, you know, pages of their website for some classes. And it was a little quote. I don't remember who it was by, but it said something about like a good teacher teaches you how to look and not what to see. And I was like, oh, I like that. I like that. Like I should figure out who said that so I can use that. Cause I think that is, it's a good way to do it. I think that sometimes we come into learning and actually I would say we're taught to learn in a certain way which is interesting. We are taught to learn in a certain way, which is to like, you learn information and then you know information that is correct. And how, I mean, what correct information is, if you just like, if I think back over the last, you know, five decades, what was right five years ago, eight years ago, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 15, 20, 25, it's not still right anymore social concepts, scientific concepts, physiology. There's a whole bunch of facts that these, they don't like, like truth is not necessarily factual, right? Truth is contextual and it has to do with what happens. And a US history book is not more true than the Silmarillion. So we've heard how you found Calamus in the bulk herb store. Do you remember finding Calamus out in the earth for the first time? I do. It took a really long time. And it mainly took a really long time because although it does grow in my area, it's not really common. And the plant is just like, it looks like a grass that grows in wet areas. And there's a lot of grasses that grow in wet areas, right? There's irises and cattails and blue flags and yellow flags and tons of sedges that are more of the yellow green color that it is. And so there was a lot of things that, that I would I would be like, oh, I think I found it. And the leaves are very aromatic. They have a very particular scent to them. And I would break a leaf and smell it and be like, oh, no. <laughs> and I did that over and over and over again. And then I kind of was like, oh, I'm just not going to find it. And then I was like, oh, I think that, you know, I'll try that one. I wasn't really expecting much. And I broke it. Um, and I was like, oh, this is totally it. And so that was, that was really super cool and exciting. But even today around here, just like in the county that I live, I maybe know like three places that it grows. And all those three places are the non-native Acorus calamus and not the native either Acorus americanus or Acorus calamus variety americanus, depending on where you look it up and when the entry is from. I know that the, the native species does grow in Michigan and I've seen it in Michigan, but it doesn't seem to, I at least haven't found it around here yet. I do remember one time, 
I was at the botanical sanctuary, the United Plant Savers Botanical Sanctuary, and I went to an event there. And afterwards, we went to Paul Strauss's land, and he's got like a, a swimming pond, and like way over on the other side of the lake, I was like, oh, I think that's Calamus. And I, you know, swam in a straight line to it, and I like sat with it and in the, in the muck, and then I. I, I swam back and Paul looked at me and he was like, you know, he didn't know me. I, no one really knew who I was back then. And he's like, how did you do that? And I was like, do what? He's like, the, that's the only place there's Calamus and you like beelined right towards it and came back. And I know you've never been here before. And I was like, oh, it's just, it's the, it's the right shade of green. Like, <laughs> And I, I, I lucked out. It could have been a sedge. I could have swam out there and it could have been sedges and I, it wouldn't have been as cool. It wouldn't have been a good story, right? If I was not, didn't get it right, but I lucked out. So now it's around. I also grow a lot of it. It grows really easily from cutting. So actually I, the ground here is frozen and even my planters are frozen, but I poured some hot water in the planter and I, I pulled up this little rhizome here with its little shoot. And basically what I can do is put it in a planter with a bunch of kind of mucky dirt and keep it wet and it grows and it spreads and then I can harvest some. So as long as I keep taking the ends, it just keeps growing more root. And then I can keep myself stocked with, with little slices of root that I can chew on because that's the main way that I use this plant. Almost, God, decoction. I don't ever really want to do a decoction again. I could do a cold infusion. That would be like kind of all right. I've never made a tincture of it. I used to say I never had a tincture, but I, I just found when I was cleaning out all of my stuff, I found this, this old Herbs of Light Calamus tincture. It's, it says it on the label, it says 1992, but that was before I got into herbs. So I'm going to say like, maybe this is from 94 when I was first getting stuff, but it's still mostly full and I haven't used it. And when I open it up, it's... Um, it doesn't really sm it doesn't smell like calamus anymore. There's that. But I mean, essentially, like of all the ways that I have used it, I like chewing on the root. And the way that I would do that is real simple. Sometimes people don't get this when they talk about chewing on plants. They think about like chewing on bubble gum. But you know, I'll grab like a piece of root and I'll stick it in my mouth, up in my cheek, and I'll let it sit there. And as my saliva softens the root, I'll give it a you know a couple kind of squeezes with my teeth, and then I'll just kind of let it sit there and my saliva tastes like calamus and every time I swallow and it's infusing in through the mucous membranes of my mouth and you know what's what's cool about chewing on plants is a way to use them which is interesting because when you look at books on herbal preparations they rarely if ever mention chewing on plants like it's just entirely left out is I have this root in my mouth for like let's say the side a piece of size might last an hour or more right and still taste like calamus for that entire hour, it just keeps infusing into my saliva and going into my bloodstream through through my cheeks. And then every time I swallow, my calamus-infused saliva goes down the back of my throat and into my stomach. And what other preparation can do that? If you drink tea, you're not going to drink your tea continue. Like, I'm not have a straw and go like... <laughs> For an hour long you know and a syrup will maybe like linger a little bit longer on your mucous membranes than tea will but that doesn't last a long time if i made a candied calamus and you can do that that wouldn't last an hour so this is just a great way to use it it's my favorite way to use calamus in terms of like preparations why this is the, pretty much the only way that that i use it and you know the other preparation of calamus that somebody gave me that was really nice and i used it until it was gone is sage apopum makes a spagyric tincture of calamus 
And I got one from him and it was really wonderful. And I used it and I passed around in classes and everyone loved it and it was gone. And even though it was wonderful, I like chewing on the root. That's my relationship with it. So that's what I keep doing. It's actually one of my first memories of you is I want to say we were sitting on a bus at IHS, like doing a little <laughs> like teacher excursion thing. And I remember uh-huh. you chewing. I think that's where it was. But I remember it's one of my first memories of you chewing on calamus root. Yeah, a lot of my friends will be like, I remember meeting you. You gave me that awful tasting root to chew. <laughs> Makes it a memorable experience. I don't yeah. remember you sharing for whatever it's worth. I just remember. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so, but you, it's okay. Here, Our here, friendship here. survived. So we've talked about chewing on calamus root and opening the doors of perception for you. What are other reasons people might want to work with calamus root? If you go back into Western herbalism, which is largely what I'm into, really what they have to say about calamus is pretty boring. It's that it's an aromatic bitter. I mean, that's not boring, but it's it's limited is maybe what I'm looking for. It's an aromatic bitter. You can use it as a carminative for cramps or gassiness. You can think about using it for sluggish digestion. One of the things that it seems to be good for is helping with reflux and issues around stomach acid. I have read and God, I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm worrying that it's in, it's in my handout too, probably. I, I've read and heard and probably said myself, because I learned it, that calamus seems to like adjust your stomach acid to what it needs to be. I don't know. That's, a, that's kind of a nebulous statement, right? Mm-hmm. I've, I've phased out some of those statements. It's not that I disagree with it or I think it's wrong. It's just like, I don't, I don't know that saying that is really clear, right? But it does seem to help with a lot of reflux issues or a lot of issues where acid is getting into places that it should not be, right? So sometimes people think reflux just means, you know, heartburn, that acid from your stomach is getting up into your esophagus and causing irritation. That must mean you have too much acid, but it can mean you have too much acid or too little acid. Really what it means that, say, this is your stomach here and this is your esophagus and you're supposed to have this lower esophageal sphincter that closes tight and it keeps the acid in here and not up in your esophagus. And if this is like cracked or off kilter, it doesn't matter whether your stomach acid is high or low. When you lay down at night, it's going to spill out. I think that there's a a little, not a lot, but a little bit of astringency to, to calamus. It's not a prominent thing where like, as I'm chewing it, I'm like, oh, my mouth is so tight from the astringency. But bitters also have this sort of like tonifying action to tissue specifically in the digestive tract. And maybe it's because bitters stimulate peristalsis and peristalsis basically exercises the tissues. And so you're getting increased muscle tone more than like increased mucosal tone, like you associate with astringents. And bitters also have this downward action that gets stuff moving like down as opposed to up. And so it seems to be good for reflux. And you know, that from Western herbalism is a lot of what we get. The volatile oils are anti-inflammatory and antimicrobial and chewing it is really good for just like maybe a protective and a, a way to treat respiratory conditions or throat colds or infection or contagion. I will sometimes, if I know I'm going into a, a situation where people around me appear to be sick, like grocery stores or other places, we'll just chew on some calamus. You know, if I have a consult coming up and I know that people are sick, I might be chewing on calamus. There's other herbs I could be chewing on, but calamus might be one of the herbs I can chew on basically thinking like, oh, I may as well just like have this in my mouth because my mouth is a port of entry into my body and I'm going to be talking and inhaling and that's kind of protective. 
So that's something that comes from Western tradition and there's studies that show it's antimicrobial. When you get into other traditions in Chinese medicine, which I'm not an expert on, but they would talk about it as sort of like dispersing phlegm, right? And I remember one time going into a different herb shop near Detroit, north of Detroit, it was a Chinese herb shop. And I wanted to compare and contrast the calamus that, that they use in their system of medicine with the acorus calamus that I was getting locally. And I think theirs is acorus griminius, if that's the right pronunciation. It's a smaller species, it's smaller rhizomes, but used similarly. The woman who was there was asking me if I knew the Chinese name, which I totally did not. But I was like, it's that one. She's like, how, how did you know that? And I'm like, because it's not all chopped up. I can just tell by looking at it. And then she was really interested and she's like, well, what are you using this for? Like, you clearly don't know anything about Chinese medicine. Mm -hmm. I'm like, like, it's good for my thinking and my perception. And she kind of like looked at me and I think she said, and this is my memory talking. I think she said something like, we use it to disperse phlegm. And I was like, brain phlegm, it's good for dispersing my brain phlegm. And aromatic plants in general, like in general, a lot of aromatic plants are good for like when your thinking is kind of like, congested and sluggish and cloudy right which is why you always see words like clarifying or you know on essential oil bottles it's just a nature of essential oils but it's really good for calamus it's stimulating and relaxing more in the stimulating direction and so like if you're feeling kind of like tired and unclear and your thought is all muddy and cloudy it's helpful with that you can chew it like that you could a lot of people use the tincture like that. They'll take small doses of the tincture to sort of like have a clarifying thing. I know that Seven Song says that like if he's looking around the class and he sees people like zoning out, he'll pass around some calamus tincture. It helps people to sort of like tune back in. So that's another virtue that it has. And in Ayurvedic medicine, like Chinese medicine, I am by no means like super knowledgeable about Ayurvedic medicine, but they're... Their name for it is Vacha, V-A-C-H-A, which is always the way that I thought you pronounced it. But then I had a student named Elena Vacha, and then she told me, no, it's Vaca. And ever since then, I've been wondering whether it's Vaca in Ayurvedic medicine, and I just haven't asked anyone who would know. You can ask KP, right? You could maybe text him, right, while we're talking, and then see if he responds before we're done. Whichever it is, that means to speak. And there's a tradition in Ayurvedic medicine that also carries over into a lot of indigenous communities, especially North American native communities, that you would use this to help to sort of like sustain your voice. So in a lot of at least this region of the United States where I live, the different tribes will use it when they're singing a lot to sustain their voice. In Ayurvedic, that's also true. But I think that we can carry that understanding of it too and we can think about its ability to affect your perception and say what i think is that calmus helps us connect our voice with our truth mm. calmus can be helpful for like i've had some people that were going through therapy and they really felt stuck in their therapy they felt stuck right so there's congestion there's stuckness and aromatic plants are moving and bitters are moving i like the way that all that ties in they they got to a point where there's like oh, there's something that i need to say but i don't want to say it because if i say it it makes things real right and that seems just really hard and overwhelming to me and so they feel stuck and i would say like take some calamus with you and you know try chewing on some calamus and they would be able to say that thing and get it out and create movement movement you know not just physiologically but like movement emotionally and movement um, cognitively or spiritually or mentally where there wasn't 
something before. There was some kind of blockage and this facilitated movement. You can think about it as helping sort of like people be able to speak and express their truth. I don't know whether I said it or someone else said it, but it helps to like connect your heart to your voice, I think is something that, that fits well for it. And one of the ways that I'll use it just personally for myself, going back to the way I started learning about it, is if I feel stuck about something in my life, I just might be like, I need to go out for a walk. I might need to take some calamus with me and the whole walk just be sort of like chewing on calamus and considering my life, pondering my life, wondering about my life, and then, you know, see what I come back with when I'm done walking around. And sometimes I might have an insight and other times I might just feel like a little bit less stuck without having a big, aha, this is what I need to do, right? I think that it's, it's easy sometimes to think like, oh, plants are going to give you a lesson. It's going to be this concise saying or phrase or statement. And you're going to be like, oh, there's the thing. And now I know. I love the Calamus walk. I Now I just want to go on a Calamus walk. So it's it's been nice chatting with you. Um, <laughs> <thanks> for... <laughs> Bye. <laughs> but I really do, though. So that sounds like a fun, insightful. And I like, is it just, it's a tradition of yours. You know, it's like, it's one of your... Mm -hmm a technique you have for pondering your life. And maybe that can get us into two different things. One is someone's going to read at some point in time that like, wait a minute, the calamus isn't that carcinogenic? And you like, you have to use Oh man, I was going to ask that question. Jim. Oh really? I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to say, but Jim, don't you oh, wait, know? Do you have any questions? I do. I'm going to ask that oh, question yeah? right now. Yeah. You preempted okay. it, but now we're just er, rewind, pretend you didn't say that. And what I wanted to say was, but Jim, can't calamus kill you? Isn't it toxic? So there's, there's, I have thoughts about this. Um, oh, surprise. This particular calamus is Acorus calamus. It is the European or Asian species that is introduced to this world, this continent, and has spread around and it's a non-native plant. This particular plant has a family of compounds in it called acerones. And some of those acerones are beta acerones. And if you take beta ac, if you take this plant and you extract the essential oil from it, and then you take the essential oil and you extract acerones from it. And then you take the acerones and you extract beta acerone from it. And then you purify the beta acerone and you either inject it into little rodents with a needle or you feed them large quantities of pure beta acerone. They will get sick, they will get tumors, and they can die. So not recommended. I feel like we should be clear. Right. <laughs> not recommended. Don't take your calamus and then take the essential oil and take the astrons out and then purify the beta astrons and eat massive quantities of it. Just, you know, probably you can't do that. I know that someone out there is like, I'm a pretty good chemist. I could probably do that. But that might not be a good idea. And I also don't know why you would do that. I would also say, don't just like take the essential oil internally. That can cause major digestive distress. Like you'll be vomiting for hours. I heard, I've heard. And actually, this particular bottle, this Herbs of Light bottle, says it's extracted from the rhizome of the diploid acerone-free American variety. So the, the written down story is like, well, calamus is safe if you use the, the native American species because it doesn't have beta acerone. And, and I feel pretty strongly like they're all totally safe. In India, where the strain, I think it was like the JAMU, J-A-M-U strain that they did the testing on that showed that it was carcinogenic. It's just a revered herb as a tonic herb, as a rasayana, as something you would use for longevity, right? And they're using the whole plant, you know, they're like, 
they weren't clueless. And, and this is not to say sometimes that there isn't a tradition of using something that turns out to have you know some safety issues. We have maybe that with pyrolizidine alkaloids or other constituents in plants, but the quantities of actual plant material you would have to ingest for the beta acerone to even remotely be an issue are undoable. Like I can chew a lot of calamus and I can't get to those levels. The native species of calamus, which actually, because acorus is the, the genus name and calamus is the species name. If we say that the native species is acorus americanus, then it's actually not calamus, but the, the native species of acorus or the native species of sweet flag or the native species of weekay or muskrat root or whatever name you use for it doesn't have beta acerones. And it's maybe when I've tasted it like a little bit hotter, like the flavor is a little bit sharper. They have overlapping qualities. I've used them both. I don't think one is quote unquote better than the other or more effective than the other. And I, I will use both depending on what I have. I grow both of them. I like both of them, but I don't worry about any of them because I'm chewing it and I just like the, the beta acerone is not an issue. One of the things about the beta acerone is that beta acerone can be extracted and it from the essential oil and it can be used as starting material to make a hallucinogenic compound called TMA2. That's something that this guy named Alexander Shulgin did. Alexander Shulgin, like his, his hobby, his hobby, his profession, his passion in life was to make psychoactive compounds that never existed before. And so you might also read in books that calamus is very hallucinogenic or that it's like LSD or like psilocybin or mescaline or that your body can make a chemical called TMA2 out of it. Your body can make a chemical called TMA2 out of it if your body is in a laboratory with a bunch of equipment, but your physiology cannot make TMA2 out of it. I do think that calamus is psychoactive, right? But I think that everything is kind of psychoactive. Like I think that anytime we consume anything, it interacts with our, our bodies and it affects our perception. Some things very subtly, some things more overtly. I mean, obviously there's a range between like eating rice and drinking coffee and taking psilocybin mushrooms in large doses. There's a spectrum, right? And I don't think that hallucinogenic is really quite the right word to use for calamus because I think a lot of people think like, oh, I read in a book that I, I need to get like an eight inch piece of rhizome like that, chew up the whole thing, and then it'll be like LSD. And most people probably are not going to chew up the whole eight inches because it's got an intense flavor and it would take a long time. And although it will affect your perception and change your perception, it doesn't, you're not going to be seeing little like geometric patterns of the walls aren't going to be breathing. It's just different. It has its own quality and it doesn't need to be the same. It's more subtle. And a lot of people who try that, then they're disappointed because it wasn't this other thing. And they don't appreciate what it is. They don't appreciate the going out for a walk and chewing on calamus for your walk and getting that sort of like perception and insight instead of like just openness, you know, like it facilitates this sort of like openness where you can see a whole, like almost like I said about your visual perception where like more things are in focus. You have a greater, like a broader depth of field. It does that with your thinking too. You can consider sort of like more options and get more insights and then not be like, a lot of times we try to figure out problems in our life by focusing on like the one thing mm -hmm. rather than taking the step back and looking at the big picture. And this is a take a step back and look at the big picture and just like take it in and, and not be having to like take it in and fix it all at one time. 
again, I love that. So thanks for being here. And I need to go find my calamus root and go on a walk. <laughs> <laughs> I actually do have some more questions for you, though. So okay, you were, mentioned the different, mainly two different species that people might encounter here in North America. And I was wondering if you had any identification tips of telling those apart. So they look pretty similar. And the key differences that I've seen in plants that I've grown that I know to be the different species is that Acorus calamus tends to be a little bit taller, like maybe a foot-ish taller, six inches to a foot taller, and the leaves tend to be a little bit wider. I've read botanical descriptions that say the Acorus americanus has multiple midribs, whereas the Acorus calamus has the one main midrib. And when I've looked at that, I've not really seen that. What I have seen is that there is a wavy margin. So like a ripple, kind of like a washerboard effect. When you look at the, the, the edge of the leaf that is present in the Acorus calamus and doesn't appear to be present or present commonly in Acorus americanus the absolute best like oh my gosh how come it took so long for someone to do this picture of both of them where there's like a picture of one next to another is in sam thayer's book nature's garden mm -hmm. so sam thayer has written three wonderful books on edible plants one is a forager's harvest one is nature's garden one is incredible wild edibles and he's currently in the midst of just being about to publish a much larger field guide with shorter entries on the plant. But in the Nature's Garden book, he has side-by-side -side pictures of both of them. And it's really just incredibly helpful. So that's sort of the thing that I would look for. The, the flowering spike. So there's like a leaf that sticks up and there's essentially the, the spike just sticks out of the leaf. The the spike, the flowering spike of the acorns and manis is a little bit shorter and a little bit thicker than the spike of the acorns calamus, which is a little bit longer and a little bit thinner. If you, if you hadn't seen both, like if you didn't have plants growing next to each other, that might be harder to tell, but I've got plants and planters growing next to each other. And I've consistently seen that as they flowered over the years. The Acorus americanus sets out fertile seed and the Acorus calamus does not appear to set out fertile seed, at least largely. So it's mainly propagated by root divisions and sort of like cloning itself, you know, a piece of the root gets eaten or carried off by a beaver somewhere, and then it goes off down the river and hits a patch of dirt and then starts growing. It's really easy to cultivate. I could stick in, in most places that aren't super dry, that have a mucky kind of dirt. I could take this root and I could stick it in the mucky kind of dirt and provided some kind of like river dwelling or pond dwelling mammal doesn't go like, oh, I love that and eat the whole thing. It will just grow into new plants and then spread and, and have an extensive rhizomatic system that you can break off and harvest from. But it's really easy to grow if you've got a, a planter that you can either keep wet or that doesn't drain at all, and you keep it muddy and wet and stick this in the wet mud, or even in just water, it'll grow for a long time just being underwater. It's an easy thing to cultivate. You can get plant starts from a bunch of different nurseries. I know that Richo at Strictly Medicinal sells cuttings. But what I would suggest is if you have a native plant nursery or nurseries in your state try to get whatever your native variety of that is and, and plant that out if you plant it out in the wild again you have to watch out for for water edge dwelling mammals because they really like to eat it you might plant it might just be gone the next day but if you can kind of like get it established and what i often do is i, I plant it in planters by my house 
and then I take cuttings from the planter, and then I can move the natives, the native species of oak, at least, out to different places to try to reestablish it. And then if it gets eaten, I can just try again. I think the planter is a great tip for your personal growing. Mm-hmm. I live in a very dry environment, and I have it growing in like a little indentation area that just naturally collects more water. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking forward to putting some in a planter this yeah. year. I think that you can also, from you know specialty nurseries, you can get the... Acorus gramineus, which is the Chinese variety that is used. And sometimes that will be variegated, other times it won't be. But I had some of that for a while, but then I don't know. That one didn't survive a dry spell one year. I think not because it can't survive dry spells, because Calamus is pretty good at doing that. But I think that it was too young and it was in too small a pot and it, it wasn't just established enough to tolerate it. Was there anything else that you'd like to share about Calamus? Oh, Calamus, Calamus. Good things about Calamus. I know in a bunch of different places in this country, and you could be watching from many other places, right? But there are places where consuming cannabis is legal. There are other places where it's not. People do it anyway. And there's all things to be said about cannabis and whether it's like the greatest thing ever and fixes everything. That's probably not true. Whether it's a cool plant with a lot of utility, whether it's a cool plant with a lot of utility that's gotten kind of weird because it's so strained out and they don't grow it in, plant, in soil anymore. Right. But one of the things that can happen when people consume a lot of cannabis and certain strains of cannabis is they can feel they can have that kind of like cloudy, foggy thinking. And if you have that effect, you can clear that up to a degree by chewing on calamus. I've, I've met people who have also like, you know, chopped really finely bits of calamus and mixed it in with their cannabis when they're smoking it to sort of like clear it up. And I've met people who were like longtime smokers who decided that they wanted to quit. And then they, they used calamus chewed on it. Some people use tinctures. One person I know was like, but it's a root. I'm going to make a decoction. I was like, have fun with that because I like the way this tastes, but not, not a decoction of it. And it can be helpful for helping with that, that sort of like sluggish thinking that can come from being over, over stoned, hmm. over altered. And you talked about it, but when you're in the Chinese shop, of it, I like how you just said, like, it clears the phlegm in my brain. Mm-hmm. And just that idea of sluggish thinking, I think there's so many applications that calamus could be chewed on to see how that goes. Another thing about it is if you look at the ethnobotany of the way the plant was used in this country, there are parallels. So I'm not saying the two plants are similar. They're not pharmacologically similar, but there are parallels with the way that this plant was used and the way that coca leaf was used in South America in that you can find plantings or wild populations of calamus that are um, remnants of plantings that were done along trade routes because calamus does have a sort of energizing, stimulating effect. And if you were walking from like Michigan to Minnesota, right, along some trail, you're probably going to get tired along the way. And then if you have some calamus with you, or if there's calamus planted along the way, you can stop, you can gather some calamus and you can chew on it and like get an extra like oomph, right? And I've used that, I've used that when I've been out backpacking. I've used that on long car trips, you know, like I'm driving after one time I was like, I taught a class for Althea Northage Orr, who's incredible in Chicago, and then had dinner at our mutual friend Anne's house. My friend Cote was there and everything was wonderful. And Chicago is like, you know, five-ish hours away from where I live. And I was like, I should get going. And I lingered and then I lingered and I lingered. I'm like, I should get going and I lingered. And then it was like after 11 o'clock before I left. And then I had to, to drive home. 
somewhere in southern western Michigan, I was just pretty tired. <laughs> and I didn't want to like stop and sleep in my car and, you know, like I, I'm not averse to that, but I didn't want to. And so I pulled over at a gas station and I walked around a little bit just to sort of like, that's just a good strategy anyway. And then I got some Calmus and I chewed on some Calmus. You went, in, it, you went into the gas station and they had a jar of Calmus on the counter and you're like, <laughs> I'll take an ounce. It's it's the one thing that they don't have next to like the 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 ginseng and royal jelly vials that they have at gas station counters, right? Mm -hmm. I found like the no-dos and the ginseng and royal jelly vials and all of the energy drinks that aren't energy drinks. They're, they don't give you energy. But calamus is stimulating and invigorating like that. So it is something you could use if you're into mountain biking, you're into backpacking, if you're doing any kind of long travel and you just need something to like give you some pep and sustain you. It can be helpful in, in doing that. I do feel like I want to be everybody's mom right now and be like, and please drive safely, folks. Yes. Right. Jim can need, be the fun one. I'm going to be the... <laughs> if you need to, you're, this is where we also need to say it's not so psychoactive that if you chew on a little disc like I have, that you're going to be driving and be like, whoa! I mean, that probably not going to happen. Un unlikely. Unlikely. Pharmacologically unlikely. Pharmacologically unlikely. Thank you for that. You've been working with Calmus for... A couple of years now a couple <laughs> couple yes. decades and i know you have an extensive writings on calamus on your website so in the show notes at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com i'm going to put a link to that so people are like hey. give me more calamus i can't get enough of jim can't get enough of calamus totally get it you can find more of jim and more of calamus there with the handy dandy link I my Calamus page is probably like the most popular page on my website. And maybe oh, I'm really? gonna preemptively, huh. yeah, I'm going to preemptively say, I do not sell Calamus. Mm, so if you, if you, if you want a bunch of Calamus, actually, it's pretty hard to get chopped up in little discs like that or to get whole roots. Mostly it's cut and sifted and you can, you can chew on cut and sifted root, but it's nicer to have a bigger piece. Well, Jim, what have you got going on herbally these days? What are you excited about? Let's see, I have several different things. I will have in, in Michigan, a whole bunch of walks, you know, all through the spring, some winter, spring, summer, and fall. So if you wanna come up in the, the woods or fields with me or swamps or wetlands or wild places or semi-wild places or just neglected places, we can go and look at plants and talk about them. That's always fun. I have both an in-person and an online version of my Lindera course, which is my herbal intensive course where we really focus on a way of thinking that we call energetics. Going back to what we talked about earlier, although this course is filled with information, the purpose of the course is less about like learning, you know, like if you learn 90 plus percent of the information, you did a really good job and you got an A, it's more about learning a way to think about plants that helps us use them more effectively for ourselves and for others. And that could be like, if you're wanting to be a clinical herbalist, it's helpful. And if you're wanting to be a family herbalist, if it's helpful, you're just wanting to use herb for yourself, it's helpful. I always call it foundational herb craft. It's like everything builds on our understanding of using herbs with these patterns of energetics in mind. And energetics isn't like the woo-woo stuff about plants, unless you don't believe in any of this, then it's all woo. But it's about looking at patterns of hot and cold, which we can say like more active and less active, dryness and dampness and tension and laxity and how they intermingle to affect the way that we have the different 
patterns and conditions and illnesses and problems and the way that we experience life together and to support our body to actually go through their own natural processes more efficiently by keeping our constitution balanced. If you want to learn about that, my course is really good. There's also a pretty good book called The Alchemy of... Who's that by? Hmm. Are you thinking of Alchemy of Herbs? Alchemy of Herbs. Oh, yeah, you could probably Google the author, but it, it also touches on this topic. And I would offer that the reason why my first book does touch on that is herbal energetics is how I think of herbalism. You know, I'm, I don't really think of the like, take this for that. It's very, it's not that it never works, but it's limiting. But also mm -hmm. you have had a profound influence on my own herbal path and okay. learning from you has, I was just so much fun. It brings the herbs to life. Like you said, it's the wonderings. It's the, the magic of wonderment rather than just the memorization of facts. So I just want to give homage to you as having a big influence on the way I look about, I look at herbs. And also another thing I deeply appreciate about you is your playfulness. And I'm it's playful. just always, you are playful and it's just always fun to be in your presence. I've also taken some of your online courses from a distance and those are also playful and fun and always insightful. Yeah, we tried to, to carry the playful over, right? There's pool noodles. <laughs> make frequent appearances <laughs> in the classes your your props are always top notch for sure mm -hmm. yeah they could be all different the pool noodle can be so many different things in the body they could be ureters they could be blood vessels they could be your digestive tract mm -hmm. yeah they're like the polycrest herb that's the polycrest mm -hmm. prop love it, it, is, it is. <laughs> polycrest meaning something that does many things so and I love that Lindera is now available online too, because it used to be like, you know, this very, like you needed, well, people would come from all over, but you are Michigan based and people would come mm. from Michigan and nearby states, but the online aspect of it really does open it all up so that we all get to learn from your, yeah, the, you know, people came from, to the course from Colorado, people came from Texas, people did come from faraway places. But it's pretty, it's pretty hard. Like if you live in like Lebanon Washington. or if you live in like New Zealand, right. Or Vietnam, it's harder, like not it's impossible, harder. but it is, it is harder. Yeah. It's less fair. practical. Yeah. Well, thank you for opening that up. Mm -hmm. Well, Jim, to draw this to a conclusion, because I am wanting to get out with the Calamus route to go on a walk, I do have one last question, and it's the same question I'm asking everybody in Season 7, and that is, what advice do you have for folks who are just starting out on their herbal path or their continuing path? I have many different pieces of advice, but I'm going to, to choose this one right now. Don't feel like it's a competition, right? Mm -hmm. Don't feel like oh my gosh, there's all of this stuff and I need to learn it all as fast as possible. Otherwise, like somehow you're being left behind and other people are like learning better than you. I think that again, being we, we were taught to learn in certain ways. And I think that we were taught to learn that learning is a competition and the faster you learn something, the better you've learned it. But that's not true. I've learned a lot from other people. I've never like completed anyone's like structured course of training. So 
in, in a lot of ways, uh, even though I've learned from other people, I'm self-taught. And there's a whole bunch of things that it took me a long time to learn. And there's a whole bunch of things that I'm still learning or other people know better than, than I do. And sometimes students or clients ask me questions and I think like, oh, wow, that seems like something I should know, but I don't really know it. And there's this amazing thing you can do is you can say, you know, that's just like, that's, that's not something that I, that I know well or have a lot of experience with. And then you can take the extra step and it, maybe if you do, you can say like, but I know someone who knows that thing really well. And when you do that, it's empowering and it's not like a fault and it's not, you're not good enough. You know, we just, you, you know, other things and other people know things you don't know and learning shouldn't be competitive and learning shouldn't be like a race where you feel pressured. I think that sometimes not all the time. Some people learn a lot of stuff really fast and, and retain it really well. But a lot of times when people try to learn a whole bunch of stuff all at once, they don't retain it well, or they, they retain sort of like the facts and the information without maybe the, the context and the understanding. So if you've ever given yourself a hard time for like not picking up something fast enough, there's no reason to do that. Mm. Just think about all the stuff that you have learned and think like, I've got my whole life to just keep learning more and more and more and i'm willing to i feel so confident in saying if you talk to anyone in any kind of field who's really knowledgeable about that field they will tell you unless they're arrogant um <laughs> there are those they will tell you like oh wow you know there's still so much i don't know or oh wow you know like this other person knows like so much more and i'm completely blown away by them so yeah don't rush don't give yourself a hard time just like be in a state of like, don't just wonder, but be in a state of wonder and, you know, just enjoy all the stuff that we get to learn, especially about plants because they're so fun and beautiful. Mm. I love how that ties back into Calamus as well. And just because I can picture you continually learning from Calamus, even in your plant wanderings and continuing to just learn more about what Calamus has to show you along the way as opening up its perceptions. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and that's the beautiful thing about herbalism is that there is so many layers of learning there. And something that I really appreciate about your teachings consistently is the experience of the plants themselves and really thinking about it. So it's not, it's not just memorizing facts, but wondering how much deeper we can go through wonderings and also experience. Yeah. Wouldn't it be weird if I thought like the degree to which I knew you was like based on how much I knew about you? Yeah. That like that would be, be a, that would that be a strange be way to relate with yeah. someone. I was a series that, of facts. You'd be like, well, yeah. she likes she likes Tori. She oh likes yeah, I know more facts about Rosalie than you do. <laughs> oh, funny enough, Tori fans are often like that, but that is another uh -huh. story. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, Jim, thank you so much for being here again, and I really appreciate you taking time to share yeah. about Calamus and about herbal teachings and about the wonderments of life. And I hope that you'll make it back to the show again one day. Well, I would love to do that. I think I assured that by my, my introduction earlier in the show. It's yeah. always wonderful <laughs> to talk to you and it's always wonderful to talk to all of you there. Um, hi, Jen. <laughs> I was gonna say that because there's always gonna be someone named Jen. <laughs> like, wow, like, I love your blue rug. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Bye. Thanks for being here. Don't forget to head over to the show notes at herbswithrosaliepodcast.com 
to get handy links for the resources we discussed in this episode, including more information about Jim's intensive herbal energetics course, Lindera, which is available both in person and online. At the show notes, you'll also be able to sign up for my weekly newsletter, which is the best way to stay in touch with me, as well as get the full transcript. You can also visit Jim directly at herbcraft.podia.com. If you want more herbal episodes to come your way, then one of the best ways to support this podcast is by subscribing on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. I deeply believe that this world needs more herbalists and plant-centered folks, and I'm so glad that you're here as part of this herbal community. Also, a big round of thanks to the people all over the world who make this podcast happen week to week. Nicole Paul is the project manager who oversees the whole operation from guest outreach to writing show notes to actually uploading each episode and so many other things I don't even know. She really holds this whole thing together. Francesca is our fabulous video and audio editor. She not only makes listening more pleasant, she also adds beauty to the YouTube videos with plant images and video overlays. Tatiana Rusikova is the botanical illustrator who creates gorgeous plant and recipe illustrations for us. I love them. I know that you do too. Christy edits the recipe cards and then Jenny creates them as well as the thumbnail images for YouTube. Michelle is the tech wizard behind the scenes and Karen is our student services coordinator and customer support. For those of you who like to read along, Jennifer is who creates the transcripts each week. Xavier, my handsome French husband, is the cameraman and website IT guy. Thanks to Rising Appalachia for their beautiful song, Resilience. Find more of their music at risingappalachia.com. It takes an herbal village to make it all happen, including you. Thank you so much for your support through your comments, your reviews, your ratings. I read every review that comes in because they're like a little herbal love letter that brightens my day. Like this one. Thank you, Rosalie. This is such a wonderful creation and amazing addition to the world for all of the herbalist and curious seekers out there. I've learned so much from listening and I love your approach to interviewing. What a treat to get to hear some of my favorite herbalists speak about some of my favorite plants. Every episode gets to the heart of herbalism in a unique way. Do you love this podcast? If you leave a review for me on Apple Podcasts, I may be reading your herbal love letter on the show next. Okay, you've lasted to the very end of the show, which means you get a gold star and this herbal tidbit. Your tidbit this week is a story I'm not super proud of, but it definitely shows the fortitude of Calamus. Many years ago, I'll say 15 or so, a friend gifted me a Calamus rhizome. And in this moment of indecision, I put it in a plastic bag and then I put it in the bottom of my fridge where it stayed for months. Again, not super proud of this. By the time I found it lurking behind some vegetables, it was mushy and very moldy. I was so bummed because I'd just been careless and thoughtless and I just wasted this gift of a plant. So I decided to bury it in my garden, kind of just gifting it back to the land as compost. Well, that following spring, I noticed these strange leaves. I just didn't recognize them. They were just strange leaves peeking out of the ground. I almost weeded them. All my thoughts of the calamus root had been totally forgotten. 
I watched as the leaves began to grow taller and taller, and when I realized what it was, I just could not even believe that this moldy, mushy rhizome that had just somehow survived for months in a plastic bag in my fridge had actually come back to life. And I've been growing from that same Calamus rhizome ever since. <laughs>